0: The events together, he does, but but you can certainly see themes, and uh, that's a theme of these next few paragraphs. So, uh, 22 to 25 of chapter 8.
1: Now, in one of those days, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat, and he said to them, Let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they launched out. But as they were sailing along, he fell asleep, and a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake, and they began to be swamped and to be in danger. They came to Jesus and woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he got up and rebuked the wind and the surging waves, and they stopped, and it became calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him?
0: Well, it's a pretty simple story, and probably one you knew well to begin with. Um, You know, several interesting things. Um you know, it may be about the only time in the Bible you read about Jesus sleeping, (laughs) you know, and of all things, he's sleeping during a terrible storm, you know, the very time you'd think you'd have a hard time sleeping, Uh, and probably indicates that he's not rattled by things like this, because Mm -hmm. he, you know, knows Mm -hmm. uh, that he can handle it. Uh, How did the disciples react? They're a bit
2: freaked out.
0: Yeah, that's a good word. They're freaked out. But they knew one good thing. They knew where to go to get help. So they woke up Jesus and said, we're perishing. And Jesus just says the word. And the winds stop and, and the waves stop. I mean, how do you stop wave action? You know, it, it could last for days, you'd think. You know, you throw a little pebble in and it'll go a good while. So, uh... That, that's pretty, uh, pretty remarkable um, to just see Jesus' ability. Remember, we've been talking a lot about the Word. Back in 811, the seed is the Word. In 821, those who hear the Word. And now, Jesus shows the power of the Word by calming the sea with a Word. Uh, his Word is authoritative over every, all kinds of things. And, uh, you know, what's their question after this happens?
2: Who is this guy?
0: Yeah. I mean, you can see that, right? I mean, wow. You know, that's incredible. But especially when you consider the fact that throughout the Old Testament, it was God that stilled the storm. You know, uh, for one verse, uh, Psalm 65, 7, talking about God, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the tumult of the peoples. But there's a number of passages, especially in the Psalms, where God's presented the one who controls the sea, who calms the storm, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. And so, you can see why they ask, who is this? I mean, wow, he's doing what only God could do. Um, it seems to me like this is a pretty obvious lesson for us. I mean, like, I probably don't even need to tell you that storms represent challenges, difficulties in life. You know, a psalm like Psalm 69, 1, Save me, O God, for the waters have threatened my life. I've sunk in deep mire, And there is no foothold. I've come into deep waters and a flood overflows me and all that. You've got a lot of Psalms like that also, where the flood the storm represent the overwhelming situations in life and, you know, kind of our helplessness. And so, you know, we may not be in a literal storm, but how many times do we face storms that are just really hard? How should we handle them? Yeah, I mean, what else are we going to do? You know, that's exactly where we must go. Uh, And, you know, it gives us a sense of security and danger when we recognize that we can turn to the Lord, that he loves us and helps us and will be with us. In fact, think about Jesus. What is it that woke Jesus up?
2: The disciples.
0: The disciples, not The the storm. Wow! Isn't that interesting? He's more attuned to their plea than he is to the battering, you know, roaring storm. Uh, so so the Lord will be with us and the Lord will help us. And so, I mean, I just think that's the lesson for us in every storm we face. We're going to be in storms. <laughs> you know, life is full of storms. But we turn to the Lord. We trust in Him. He gives us calm and peace because we know He's in control. Thoughts and comments. <clears throat>
3: just
1: another uh, passage that talks about... God being the one in control is in uh, Job 38 where he talks about uh, where were you when I did this, this, and this, and placed the boundaries of the sea and said, thus far you shall come and no farther and here shall your crowd waves.
0: Yes, yes. Really, there's quite a number of passages all over the Old Testament that say things like that that make you realize for Jesus to calm the storm really looks like he's God. Other thoughts?
2: Is that question at the end of verse twenty-five imply that they are not quite understand? They don't quite understand who Jesus is yet.
0: I don't think it's dawned on him how much he is deity. They obviously know he's amazing. Maybe that he's the Messiah, but do they really understand he's God? I don't know. I mean, wouldn't that be a little hard when you're seeing him walk around in the flesh?
1: I can't remember where this occurs, timeline-wise, as far as, like, before after, um, who do you say I am?
0: Well, in Luke, it's before. Mm-hmm. Who do you say I am is in chapter 9.
1: Okay. And I was thinking that it was, mm-hmm. or maybe it comes at the end, does it come at the end of the, the series?
0: Uh, somewhat, yeah. Okay, you could say that. Right, yeah, you could right. say that, definitely.
1: Because I was thinking yeah. it was either at the beginning or the end. Yeah. They're all the, he, yeah, shows, I, he shows the the, the power, mm-hmm. his power, this way and 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 then...
0: Yeah, I can see how you say that, yeah. <coughs> 26 to
3: 39. And they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is obviously Galilee. And when he had come out of the land, he was met by a certain man from the city who was possessed with demons, and who had not put on any clothing for a long time and was not living in a house but in the tombs. And seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, What do I have to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had been commanding the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard, and yet he would burst the fetters and be driven by the demon into the desert. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons have entered him. And they were entreating him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now there was a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountain, and the demons entreated him to permit them to enter the swine, and he gave them permission. And the demons came out from the man, entered the swine, the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake, and were drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, he ran away and reported in the city and out in the country. And the people went to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting, on, sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed him in his right mind. They became frightened. And those who had seen it reported to them how the man who was demon possessed had been made well. And all the people of the country, of the Gerasenes and the surrounding district asked him to depart from them, for they were gripped with great fear, and he got into a boat and returned. But the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him. But he sent him away, saying, Return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him.
0: Well, this is a kind of uh, spooky situation. You've got uh, Monster Man here. Uh, what's, uh, what's his lifestyle like? Wild. Yeah, that's putting it mildly. What would you have noticed is particularly unusual? He was
2: possessed by
1: demons. Yeah. No
0: clothes. No clothes. <laughs> lived in the tombs. Lived among the tombs. What else? Um, he could break chains. Yeah. Leave tall builders at <laughs> a single bound and, you know, whatever. Yeah, he seemed to be just have incredible superhuman strength. So all attempts at containing him have not been successful up to this point. And, uh,. So he sees Jesus and does what?
1: Cries out, falls down before him and says, What business do we have with each other? Jesus, Son of the Most High
0: God. Yeah, he's pretty much freaked out by Jesus, you know, shrieking and you know, what are we do? What are you doing here? Don't torment me. So you can see already this demon scared of Jesus. These demons are scared of Jesus, maybe I should say. Uh, Because when Jesus asks him his name, what's his name? Legion. Legion. What does a Legion refer to normally? Roman. Roman Roman Army Army Division. division. So it refers to several thousand soldiers. So evidently a few thousand demons had entered this guy. No wonder he had superhuman strength. No wonder he was, uh, you know, in the tombs and, you know, one of the accounts that he would gash himself with stones and all that. He was probably driven mad by this, all these demons inside of him. But uh, but these these demons are scared of Jesus and just uh, really, uh, you know, desperate, panic-stricken. And and actually, what were they asking Jesus not to do? Send them to the abyss. Yeah, that's verse 31. Not yeah. to torment them, verse 31. Not yeah. to send them to the abyss. The abyss means What? Yeah. So why wouldn't they want to go back to hell? Yeah, that's an interesting thing to recognize because I think I would have thought that the demons partied it up in hell, but that would be a great place for them. But what we actually know is from Matthew twenty-five, that hell was prepared as a torment for the devil and his angels. They don't. They hate it. They want to do anything not to have to go back home. That's where they don't want to go. And in fact, they have an alternative suggestion. It looks to me like if the demons didn't have anywhere else to go, they'd have to go back to the abyss. But what do they see as their chance?
1: The swine.
0: Yeah, there's a herd of swine feeding over there, and they want to be able to go into the swine. Well, you can understand (laughs) that, I guess. I... You know, not having been a demon, I don't know, but you would assume that pigs were less, uh, less than uh, ideal living conditions compared to a human being. But still better than going back to the abyss. You know? It's what they have available. And maybe what they think Jesus might let them do. But Jesus would never agree to a request of demons, would he?
1: <laughs>
0: he did! Isn't that kind of surprising?
1: It's a little strange, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's like, you would always think Jesus would deny a request of demons. But he doesn't. You know, he gave them permission. Evidently, they couldn't enter the pigs unless Jesus had given them permission. Well, when they go into the pigs, what happens? Stampede. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's the truth, a pig stampede. I don't know if they can do that or not, but they did. They just, what's going on with these, uh, you know pigs.
1: They rush down the bank into the lake and are drowned. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's like they uh, they run off the cliff, so to speak. And, uh... Why? Apparently,
1: they don't like the demons any
0: more than
1: <laughs> yeah. the demons
0: like them. I'm assuming possessed pigs go berserk. And they just kind of lost their head. That's what it looks to me like. Um... Wonder about those demons. <laughs> I, I suspect they ended up in the abyss because there was no
1: other place for them.
0: There. That's what I'm expecting. So I think Jesus outsmarted them. You know, when he gave them permission to go into the pigs, I think he knew this was just going to uh, give them a roller coaster ride on their way to the abyss. And there is, this is a this a doubtful point. So I'll give you the point, and then I'll give you the answer to it. But Matthew twelve talks about, and Luke may have this too. I think in Luke eleven, but um, where demons, when they're cast out of a man, go through waterless places, seeking a place to find, and then it goes back to that man and his house is swept and empty, and he goes back in with seven more demon buddies. But the fact that he'd go through waterless places has made some people think that demons don't like water. Well, if they don't like water, this was a double, uh, you know, kind of outsmarting the demons. Because not only did they have to end up going back to the abyss anyway after a rather frightening ordeal, but they ended up drowning, which the demons perhaps don't like. So that was really, uh, you know, outsmarting him two ways. The only thing is, there's this man whose demon-possessed boy, the demon often plunged him into the water and into the fire. So I don't know if we can really say that demons don't like water because of that one passage. But if that is true, then this would even be a more like, wow, Jesus really got him there. And you see why, you know, Jesus gave in to the pig's request. This was, this worked well with his purpose as well. Either way. I think they ended up back in the abyss. You know, what do you think about Jesus doing this, though? I mean, that's a lot of pigs to lose. (laughs) I mean, you know, pigs are people too, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I suppose there are other ways that he could have gotten the attention of the people in the area. But this was one very certain way for lots of people to come out to see what had happened and thus to see the, the man sitting at the feet of Jesus in his right mind with clothes on and not being, you know.
0: And the pig's a total loss. I don't think this is going to make him very popular in this region. He put a debt in the local economy right then and there. And uh so they do. I mean the the boy, the man's totally different. Wow, how, how is the man different?
2: sitting at the feet of Jesus and he's got clothes
0: on. Yeah, no demons. Uh, he's in his right mind. you know he wants to stay with Jesus before he didn't want anything to do with Jesus, and so was and so on. I mean, he's just like totally, totally different. this is this is amazing. You might take a look and look at all the different people who sit at the feet of Jesus. Uh, It's quite a collection. A sinful woman in 738 that anointed his feet. This man, a desperate father later on in the chapter. Um, Mary, uh, the sister of Martha and Lazarus in chapter 10. A Samaritan in chapter 17. It's quite a collection of uh, people at Jesus' feet. Uh, You know, it kind of makes you realize how, what a... You know, Jesus didn't exactly appeal to only the, uh, you know, highest-bred people. Uh, but what did the townspeople come out and do? Leave. Why? They were scared. What? What's there to be scared of?
1: Something mightier than these demons.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, but he's using it for a good purpose.
1: Not, not necessarily to them. I mean, they lost two thousand
0: pigs. Yeah, I mean, boy, if we let him stay any longer, what what animal would be safe? You know, I think that's the idea. They love their pocketbooks a lot better than they loved this demon possessed man. You know, they wanted to help the man by chaining him up, but none of it's going to cost him a herd of swine. Maybe Jesus would heal other demon possessed people. What would happen then? And so, I mean, sometimes following Jesus costs you something. I mean, Jesus, Jesus can get expensive. You know, remember all the people that burned all those 50,000 pieces of silver worth of books in Ephesus and Acts 19, for example? So do, do we want Jesus if it costs something? And, uh, so when they ask Jesus to leave, what does Jesus up and do? He leaves. Jesus doesn't stay where he's not wanted. And who wants to go with him? The man? Yeah. That, that guy who had all the demons cast out of him, I think I'd want to be with Jesus too if I would have been in that situation. But what does Jesus tell him? Tell
3: everybody what
0: happened. Yeah, you need to go back home and, you know, tell everybody about what's happened to you. You know, I mean, a lot of times, the first thing somebody who's converted needs to do is to tell others about Christ. That's logical. Not necessarily an exotic adventure to some faraway place, maybe he'd go home and tell his family and friends. That seems like a reasonable place to, to start. You know, so he was willing to go with Jesus. Is he willing to stay behind and teach the people? Well he does. You know, so that's that's encouraging. And uh you know, sometimes Jesus may ask us to do the harder thing. But notice something. Does he do what, what Jesus told him to do? Verse 39, what did Jesus tell him to do? Return to his own house. And?
1: Describe what God done for you.
0: And what does he go out and do?
1: Claim to the whole city. What? What, what great, great things, things Jesus has done.
0: Now, Jesus said to tell what things God had done, and he goes out and tells what great things Jesus has done.
1: <laughs>
0: did he disobey? Uh, isn't that interesting? He understands that telling the great things God has done means telling what Jesus has done. They're one and the same. That's that's an interesting, uh, you know, angle on Jesus' deity. Thoughts and comments? Uh, well, I assume demons are evil angels that fell. That's what I think. I don't know if I can prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt, but that's what I think. I mean, hell was made for the devil and his angels. And we know that there were angels that rebelled against God, so I'm assuming that's where the demons came from. I don't know that we don't have them today. I assume Satan still uses them. I don't think we're still possessed in this way today. I think that was during a period of time which Jesus and the apostles and so forth were able to show their victory over Satan. But I mean I can't prove that definitively. I can but that doesn't look to me like there's any evidence that demons are doing that. I suspect Satan still uses demons in temptation and things like that.
1: Thoughts
0: and comments. Alright, well, here's a miracle inside a miracle. This is kind of, we start one story, we go to another, and then we finish up the first one. So, let's do 40 to 56.
2: So it was, when Jesus returned, that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there was a man named Jairus, and he was ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter about twelve years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. Now a woman, having a flow of blood for twelve years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes thronged and pressed you, and you say, Who touched me? But Jesus said, Somebody touched me for I perceived power going out from me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, and falling down before him, she declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him, and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer, your faith has made you well, go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Your daughter is dead, do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, Do not be afraid, only believe, and she will be made well. When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in, except Peter, James, and John, and the father and mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, Do not weep, she is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. But he put them all outside, took her by the hand, and called, saying, Little girl, arise. Arise. Then her spirit returned, and she arose immediately. And he commanded that she be given something to eat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened.
0: Okay, see the story within the story? The kind of He starts out on one uh, mission and gets diverted slightly. Uh, so there's this uh, synagogue official named Jairus who comes and falls at Jesus' feet and asks him to come to his house because... Yes. Yeah. What does he say about his daughter? His only daughter. Only daughter. Remember, we got a series of three only children. One in chapter 7, one in chapter 8, one in chapter 9. Uh, how old was she? 12. She's 12. Okay, so he's on his way when we've got this other issue. We've got this woman. And she's had a. Uh, female issue it looks to me like for 12 years and wow that's bad you know and well it hasn't gone well she couldn't be healed by anybody you know she we know from the other gospels she's gone to lots of doctors spent all her money but had not gotten any better so we don't know her name but we do know her medical history and uh what is she thinking
2: if she can just touch him
0: yeah, she, she, this is embarrassing. I mean, you know, makes her unclean all the time. And, uh, so she doesn't, you know, I mean, would you want to, you know, admit your personal issues in front of everybody, this huge crowd? Uh, so she, she does. She touches his cloak. And what she, can, can she tell immediately?
2: It's up.
0: Yeah. She, she can feel that. And, and, uh, you know, so this is the first cure she didn't have to pay for, and the only one that actually has worked. Uh, but Jesus stops and says, who touched me? That's kind of funny, right? You ever been in a crowded Brazilian bus, or at the uh, subway crossing point at peak time? You know, it's like, how many people can touch you at once? You agree were you, were, was, did you get more of that on the subway or the bus? Did you do the subway? Uh, I did do the subway. Um, I'd say the bus was, yeah. was Man, I mean, you're packed in like sardines and then some you know, fuller figure person needs to pass through. And they do. <laughs> and you become more sardinized. You know, it used to be on the Brazilian buses. You'd see people just hanging on like this. I don't see that too much anymore. I've seen them outside the bus like one foot on a, you know, let me like where they put in the gas and one foot on a windowsill and, you know, whatever. It's kind of crazy. But, man, it is amazing inside. And I think even worse, the subway. That subway main crossing in Sao Paulo at peak time. You have to wait three or four trains to get up close enough to get in. But what they, they open the doors. You will not not go in. I mean, you will be powerfully assisted to get into the middle of that subway. I mean... I, if you fell, I think you'd be killed. You know, you have to you have to make sure you, you know, keep upright. And they just push you into the middle of that thing. You know, just this press of people behind you. And that's what I'm imagining here. I'm imagining these people are thronged around Jesus. Everybody's, you know, touching him. So when Jesus says, who touched me? Like, Peter said, uh, everybody. <laughs> and Jesus said, no, somebody touched me. You know, the power went out of me. Now, you know, wasn't this embarrassing for this poor woman? I wonder why Jesus did this. Why didn't he just let her go? She got the healing and, you know, good enough. Good question, don't you think? Does Jesus just like to embarrass people? I don't think so. Think about what would happen if he didn't do this. She goes back home healed, and what would she have thought? His
3: clothes are magic.
0: Yeah, maybe that. His clothes are magic. I almost can imagine her having a troubled conscience, thinking she kind of stole the healing. And what would she not have had?
2: The spiritual part of it.
0: Yeah, she wouldn't have had a personal relationship with Jesus. It would have just been touching his clothes. And you're gone. Jesus wanted something more than that. You know, he didn't want just to give her a healing. He wanted a relationship with her. You know, and and so you know she she confesses, and Jesus says, "Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace." Now she's gotten this legitimately. Jesus has formed a personal connection with her. He's comforted and encouraged her. And she has given a public testimony to what Jesus did. So the Lord doesn't want to be manipulated just for us to get some things. He wants a relationship with us and he wants to give us the best things. He wants to give us peace and hope and comfort and not just some kind of a trinket that we are seeking. Even at the risk of embarrassing this woman, Jesus makes her come clean and, and and talks to her and comforts her. Thoughts and comments through uh, verse 48 there with that story.
1: Do you happen to know back in 45 or 44, 45 if the word touched and pressing and crowding if those are like all the same root or if there's any
0: I don't know the answer
1: to if it was like the, the agape filet stuff. I, I don't know the answer
0: Anything else? 48. Well, meanwhile, back at Jairus' house, what's been happening? His daughter's dead. His daughter died. You know, man, maybe if he hadn't wasted time with this woman, he could have gotten there in time. But, you know, forget it. She, she passed, as we often say. And uh, Jesus doesn't take that for an answer. He goes in... And everybody's just in full funeral. And Jesus says, don't cry, she hasn't died, but is still asleep. Really? You know, come on, well, tell me another joke. They they laugh. Now these are probably hired mourners, I know that sounds strange, but they're probably hired mourners, so they're just putting on a show of lamentation, they, they can certainly turn it around and laugh if they want to. But, I mean, was Jesus right? Was she not dead? She was only sleeping?
2: To him, she was.
0: Okay. I
1: mean,
0: she was dead. She was dead, yeah. But
1: not permanently dead.
0: <laughs> she <laughs> was temporarily dead.
1: <laughs> 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 she was mostly dead.
0: <laughs> <lonely. laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I think Jesus is giving the prognosis, not the diagnosis. This is What's going to happen is it's not going to amount to anything more than sleep because he's going to raise her up that's, that's what it looks to me like uh, I don't think he's trying to say she, she hadn't died but that this death was not going to amount to anything more than sleep and so he puts everybody out, out except her parents and Peter, James and John and what does he tell the little girl? get up, get up. and what does she do? She got,
2: up.
0: she got up and what does Jesus order?
2: give her something to eat
0: what does that sound like to you?
3: Like, he wasn't very surprised that it
0: worked. Well, that's one thing, yeah. He doesn't, you know, they're all marveling and amazed and wow, and didn't even think about the fact that the poor girl's hungry. But Jesus never uh, never looks at one of his miracles and says, Whoa, would you look at that? It worked! Can't believe it! You know, you never see Jesus like that. He's always calm and collected and all that. But, but it, he almost reminds me of like a doctor. You know... That's like giving instructions for her diet for the day or something like that. Listen, she's hungry. Can you get her something to eat? I mean, you know, he worked a resurrection like this without impressing himself or without forgetting, you know, the poor girl hasn't eaten, you know, we need to get her something, you know. And of course, when she eats, what does that confirm? She's alive. She's alive. She's a real person. You know, this is not her ghost or something. Ghosts don't eat. Um, and uh, he tells him not to tell anybody. Jesus does not try to draw and do attention to himself, though it never hardly ever works when he tells him that, but, you know. Do you see some similarities between that woman with the bleeding and Jairus' daughter?
1: Well,
0: they're both female. They're both female. Well, you could have started with they're both a uh, person, yeah.
1: They're 12 years. Yeah!
0: That woman's had the female issue the whole time this girl's been alive, both of them 12 years. What else? He uses daughter for the woman in 48, and this is Jairus' daughter. You know, um, both uh, healings are associated with touching, uh, and and uh, other things that are just typical of any miracle like this. But uh, comments and questions on, on that story? Anything in chapter 8?
1: Give her something to eat. Reminded me of after Jesus appeared to the the apostles after he was raised, and he said, "Hey, give me some fish, give me something to eat." So it proves is not a ghost kind of thing as well.
0: Excellent, agree with that. Uh, totally, yeah. Uh, you know, figments of your imagination don't uh, don't eat food.
2: she
3: was dead. I mean, I don't know. It's
0: not like... Well, there's going to be a lot of people who know. That's for sure. He doesn't want any more attention than necessary. He really doesn't like to draw all this attention to his healings. Because I think it distracts from his work. Everybody comes and looks for a stunt instead of coming to listen to him teach. That's what I think.
1: There is the contrast... With. He tells them not to say anything, but he tells the pro- previously demon-possessed man, "Go, go, speak, tell." But he's on, that's on the other side of the lake, which I guess. And there's
0: no danger of him becoming too popular over there, was there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the danger of having the throngs of crowds looking for a stunt are more on this side of the Jordan River. What about
3: what he tells the? woman says your faith
0: has made you well yeah i mean her trusting jesus is the thing that's caused jesus to heal her
3: is that what raised the uh, girl from the
0: dead (laughs) no but her father's faith did i mean think about it who i mean under most circumstances who does jesus heal
2: And stuff, yeah.
0: Brought... Now, every once in a while, you see a healing that's not like that. That that widow's son. He just happened across the funeral procession and heals him. But most of the time, he heals because people seek him because they
3: trust him enough to come for a healing. I guess the point, one of the points, that is people that claim to do healing today often use that and say, "Oh, well you didn't have enough faith, that's why I can't heal you or something like that." But it was never a requirement for Jesus. He often spoke about it or talked about their faith. Yeah, I mean But it was already evident in the fact that they had come to him. Exactly. Of the other way. Exactly. I yeah, I mean you know, those who came to them had faith
0: to be healed. I don't know of anybody who came to Jesus and sought a healing that was turned down. Or that it didn't work. Or something like that. I mean, if they came for it, they clearly had enough faith. You know, I mean, thats I think that's the point. They were willing to seek it. And there were some cases, like I say, there was that guy in John 5, the paralyzed guy by that pool. He didn't even know who Jesus was after he'd healed him. He had to go back and find him and ask him what his name was. So he wasn't exactly expecting healing. Yeah, it's a cop out when they say that.
1: And I still find it, I still find it shocking, I guess, that you've got these people mourning, and then they start laughing at Jesus, I'm kind of like, "Oh, don't, don't do it," that! you know, it just. The idea of laughing at a God. I, you, yeah. even yeah. Especially God-God.
0: But but yeah. it sounded funny, you know, from the standpoint, this is just absurd. You know, I mean, what would you think about a doctor who rushed into a patient who'd been dead two or three hours and still in the hospital room, starting to hook up the IVs and doing all this stuff? Like, she's dead. No, she's just asleep. Well, I mean, you know, brain activity stopped, you know, three hours ago. Uh... All right, chapter 9, verses 1 to 10.